The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture is from Colossians 2, verses 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but in the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to its regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Is my mic on? There we go. Thank you, Audra. My name is Lee Eric Fesco. I'm the director of discipleship here. It's always a joy to be with you all here at uh, Christ Pres Music Row. Uh, my family and I are here today, and we just returned from fall break. And uh, uh, so traveling is at the forefront of my mind. All of us uh, love to travel. In fact, before I was on staff at CPC, I was in the book publishing world. And that job required me to travel every so often. And uh, if I was traveling for business, my travel expenses would, of course, be covered by the company. And when I would travel, it was hard not to notice that the company I worked for would place certain restrictions on the type of travel arrangements I could make. I didn't have just a blank check with which I could arrange all my travel, right? So when you're traveling like this, it's understandable. You want to know what your options are. Because let me tell you, there are many, many options. Now, if you've never traveled, which I suspect most of you have at some point, but for the rest of you that don't get to do it very often, let me tell you what you might discover. When you go to purchase a seat on an airplane, you can't just approach the website and say, I'd like one ticket to Albuquerque, please. It's much more complicated than that. There are so many choices to be made. Some airlines are more complicated than others. But again, here's what you may find. First, you'll select your flight. And let's just say you're looking for the least expensive way to get to where you're going, and you select that option which means you're probably going to have to leave very, very early or very, very late. You have to pay more uh, to fly at what you might be considering a reasonable hour, okay? Now, on certain airlines, you go to purchase your ticket, and then it will ask you, where would you like to sit? You may pick a seat. And then you get a grid of all the available seats. And again, here's what you may find. You'll find that while there are many, many open seats, you are only limited to a select few. Which ones can I pick? You can pick any of the standard seats, unless you'd like to pay a little bit more and get a preferred seat. Oh, well, that sounds good. Uh, 
what, what does a preferred seat get me? A preferred seat gets you a chair with a little bit more legroom, and I do emphasize little bit. But the seat does not recline. Okay, uh, is there a seat that gets me a little bit more legroom and allows the seat to recline? Yes, that would be main cabin extra. And you have to pay just a little bit more for that one too. And here's the thing, these are just the main cabin options. I'm not even going to get into the details of first class, business class, and yes, there's one more, premium economy. Premium economy, that's like an oxymoron, jumbo shrimp, premium economy. Those are all the options that will get you a better seat for varying amounts of money too, but they will all cost you a little bit more money, unless you're a member of the airline. I can become a member? Does that cost extra? Well, it's not free. And your next question might be, how do I become a member? That depends on what kind of member you want to be. For one airline, you have to figure out or choose or earn the level of Executive Platinum or Platinum Pro or Platinum Elite membership. And those are all the choices? Oh no, there are more. You can also be a One World Sapphire member, Emerald Elite member, Advantage Gold member, or One World Ruby Elite member. And here's the good news. If you're one of those, you can pick a main cabin extra seat for no additional charge. And, 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 being one of those members will get you preferred boarding options. So I can get on the plane first? That depends on what you define as first. Trust me, we don't have time to get into all the boarding options because there are many, many, many of those too. And not to pick on the airline industry because they're, they're certainly not alone. The concept of the upgrade is pervasive all throughout every kind of consumer-based industry. And the idea behind all of them is that yes, there's entry level, but if you want more, it's gonna cost you more. This is what Paul is responding to in his letter to the Colossian church. This, this is a young church, and Paul received word that the, the false teaching had infiltrated their midst. And, and though we don't know the specific heresy or the specific nature of the false teaching, there are all kinds of clues about what's being taught. And it's centered around the, the, the idea or the teaching that the work of Christ wasn't enough. That, well, Jesus will get you there. He'll get you to where it says on the ticket. He'll get you there. But, but hey, would you like a few upgrades? We've got a few choices that you'll need to make or, or maybe earn. So it's going to cost you a little bit more, more than what's already been paid. And then you'll have additional favor from the Father. So last week, the heart of the passage that we were looking at centered around the idea that all you, you have all you need in Christ in those verses and the verses leading up to this one, made statements about who Jesus is and, and who you are in Jesus. And, and, and you who once were dead in sin became alive in Christ because of, of his work applied to you. And that work applied to you canceled your record of debt and even more declared you righteous because of Christ's work applied to you. You need nothing more. You're, you're justified before God. So now, after Paul labored to tell us all that we need, which is Christ alone, he begins to labor to tell us what we don't need. Here are all the upgrades that this teacher or these teachers are asking you to buy, and you don't need a single one of them. 
This teacher is trying to disqualify your right standing before God based on your not observing these things. And then we get this longer list than, than even the airline upgrades list. And in this list, all these things that he's mentioning, if you're a Christian in the first century uh, church at Colossae, the, the f- first glance you might think, wait, I'm not supposed to do these things? These are things I'm not supposed to do? And there's a word that jumps off the page that, uh, that was uh, read for us just a moment ago, mentioned twice, and that word is asceticism asceticism. In verse 18, he says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism. Then again in verse 23, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism. Now, that might be a $5 word, but it's a word that according to Merriam-Webster simply means the practice of strict self-denial as a measure of personal and especially spiritual discipline. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that a good thing? Strict self-denial is a measure of personal and spiritual discipline. Isn't that something we want? One of my uh, kids recently lost a fairly significant amount of weight, and I wanted him to understand early on from the get-go that I love him no matter how big or small he is. Full stop. But I certainly am proud of him because he lost the weight by exercising self-denial and self-discipline, by saying no sometimes to things that he wasn't paying attention to one way or the other before. I mean, that's a good thing, right? We want that. That's a good thing. So too, the Colossians might have thought similarly when they heard from these teachers who were talking to them about things like like food and diet and festivals and, and Sabbath. These are all things drawn out of the Scriptures, the law of God. And so that means they must be good, right? And so Paul's whole argument in this section pits human rules against holding fast to Christ. Human rules against holding fast to Christ. Are you relying on your own ability to keep the law? Or are you relying on Christ's ability to keep the law? And let me tell you, this is every bit as applicable today for the church as it was back then. How many ways are we able to add human rules to Christ's work? We need Jesus. We need Jesus. That's all we need. And then just a little bit more. Here are all my good works and all the good things I do that make me a good person. Here's all my good behavior. You can't have it both ways. It can either be through your ability to keep the law or through his ability. Those are the only two options. Mutually exclusive. Because let's make something clear right away. It would be a mistake for us to look at this passage and think food and dietary laws, those are bad. Festivals or or new moon or Sabbath, those are all bad too. Those Those are Old Testament things. We don't need those things anymore, and they're all bad. So, So don't do them. That was the Old Testament. It would be wrong to be completely dismissive of them. You know why? Because Christ wasn't dismissive of them. When Christ came, he preached his Sermon on the Mount where he basically gives not just a recapitulation of the law, but a lot of clarity with it. Here's here's where you think the law stops, but, but it's actually way up here. He also said this in the same sermon, Matthew 5, 17, which says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. So he didn't come to abolish law. So does that mean it's still in play? The law of God is still in play? Yes. 
insofar as he has fulfilled the law. Here's what that means. And, and you may have asked yourself this question about the Bible at one time or another, but, but maybe have thought something uh, to the effect of, thought it out this way. Why is it that some Old Testament commandments we still observe, but others we don't? For instance, why is it okay now to eat things like bacon and shrimp and even bacon-wrapped shrimp, as one television uh, character once said, that's my first favorite food wrapped around my third favorite food. We can't eat that which was once prohibited, but we still observe commandments 1 through 10. We recently uh, purchased a new desk for one of my kids. He picked it out himself. He specifically wanted the one that we got because it was in the shape of an L, and that shape lent itself to how he wanted to organize his room. So that was the, the desk we got him. We got it from Amazon. They shipped it out in less than a week. It arrived at our door. The box arrived, as you might guess. It was heavy, but surprisingly compact. Uh, this desk occupies two walls crammed into a container that wasn't much longer than three feet or so. So when you open the box, you notice right away that this desk requires you to put what seems like 1,000 pieces together. But the, real, the really impressive thing, and I use the word impressive somewhat sarcastically, is that you could assemble the entire desk with a single wrench. This relatively small L-shaped wrench is the only tool I needed for the assembly of the whole desk. In fact, I used it so much that I wore down the tip of this, this wrench because it's not exactly a quality tool. Be that as it may, th this tool is important. This tool is essential. This tool is necessary. You can't build the structure without it. When we talk about the Old Testament law, Bible scholars usually divide it into three components. There's the moral law. That's like the Ten Commandments. Those do not change. They remain unchanging. Then there's the civil law that was given specifically to govern the Israelites and regulated behavior between individuals. This law expired with the demise of the Jewish civil government. Then there's the ceremonial law which was given to regulate worship, it included laws about sacrifices, laws about duties of the priests, laws on animals and foods and laws on festivals, and even what made a person clean and unclean to be able to approach worship. We might look at this and say, well, we don't observe those laws anymore. Those are Old Testament laws that went away with the temple. And those are some of the laws that are included here on Paul's list. Paul is detailing for the Colossian church. But here's the thing. It's not that we don't need those laws anymore. It's that Christ fulfilled the requirements of those laws. This is why Paul says in verse 17, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament, every, and I don't get tired of saying this. I, I, hope, I hope this gets in your head for the rest of your lives. Everything in the Old Testament points forward to what Jesus would do in the New. We look at the Old Testament and see the commands for how a sacrifice should be performed. It wasn't the sacrifice of an animal that removed sin. It was a picture. It was a tool that facilitated bringing about the final thing. It showed the Israelites that their only hope of being made right before God was if somehow, some way, their sin could be removed and placed upon something else. They looked at that animal sacrifice in hopes that God would somehow do that for them. And he did. The sacrificial lamb pointed forward to the ultimate unblemished sacrificial lamb that is Jesus Christ. 
The food and dietary laws were given to the people of Israel to set them apart. I will be your God and you will be my people. That was the command repeated all throughout the Old Testament. But Israel, yes, even Israel wasn't the final thing. It was only the pointer to the final thing. And once Jesus came and established his kingdom in the hearts of every nation, tribe, and tongue, the dietary laws were fulfilled. They served their purpose. All those laws pointed forward. They pointed forward to the work of Jesus. They were never the means of justification. They were the instrument that was used to bring about the final structure. They had their purpose, and that purpose was fulfilled. It was made complete in Jesus. So this is why Paul is telling the church, don't go backwards. Don't revere the thing that's supposed to point to the thing that you should actually be revering. It would be like me taking this wrench to my son and handing it to him, saying, here, now go do your homework. Okay, go do your homework on this. This is so important. This is so necessary. We need this for the structure. Now here, go do your homework. This instrument fulfilled its purpose. It's up for grabs, anyone who wants it. If you're looking to, to round out your Allen Wrench collection, come see me after, after church today. This is why Paul says in verse 20, If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? The elemental spirits of the world. That's a curious phrase. Paul uses similar phrasing in verse 8 of this same chapter, and then two more times in Galatians. And it's a word in the Greek which means an element or rudiment of any intellectual or religious system. Any intellectual or religious system. And Paul is saying to this church, who would have been predominantly a Gentile audience, if you died with Christ, why do you still submit to the ways of your old beliefs? Whatever that religious system was. And notice how his mentioning of the dietary laws and festivals and Sabbath, Sabbath, those things which were Old Testament practices, are mentioned under, mentioned under the heading of this elemental spirits of the world, along with worshiping angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And then he continues in an almost mocking manner, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. That could be directed at their old religious Gentile practices, whatever it was, or even the Old Testament law, which had plenty of do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. All kinds of laws like that. He groups all of them together. It's as if Paul is saying, listen, this teacher, whoever he is, is trying to tell you that you, you need a few upgrades. And some of the upgrades he's selling includes going back to using the old things in effort to gain favor with God. And even using the law of God itself, even using that is no different than submitting to any other religious system which tells you, go seek insight from the stars. Go, go seek insight from the ancient text or that magic scroll or those golden plates. And once you've sought them out, try and align yourself with it and see what it asks of you. And what you'll find is that it asks you to work and work and work and work and work and work. And once you've worked so hard to the point of harm, or as Paul puts it, severity to the body, then, then maybe that's enough. Will you ever really be assured that you've done what's required? And remember, the Old Testament law was never a means to earn your justification. It was only a pointer to Jesus Christ who would earn your justification for you. So even if you use the Old Testament law to try and earn your justification, you've reduced it to be no different than any of the elemental principles of any other religion. 
and I don't say this lightly, every other religion in the world requires this of you, work, performance. And, and do you ever reach the top of the mountain? Do you ever really receive assurance that you'll, you, you've reached the top? It's only in Christianity where you point to the work of someone else and say, he worked, he performed, and he did it perfectly. He did reach the top. This is the, the transaction. When Paul says, if with Christ you died to these things, here's what he's saying. In Christ, you died with him. Your sin was paid for, just like we were talking about a moment ago, about the sacrificial lamb. Your sin was placed on him, and you received his righteousness too. You made an exchange with him, your sin for his righteousness. And if that's the case, why in the world are you trying to add to which that which is already perfect? You can't upgrade Christ's righteousness. And Christian, that's the status you carry with you right now, and it can't be changed, not ever. Because here's the secret about Christianity. If the Christian system were a religion based on your merit, then your status before the Father would change, and it would be changing all the time. Why? Because your righteousness wavers. Each and every one of us would probably acknowledge that. As far as our righteousness is concerned, as far as our goodness goes, well, some days are better than others, right? Right? It's like my status with the airlines. You know, I, I was in pretty good standing with them when I was traveling frequently as I was. And as long as I kept on traveling, they attached all kinds of labels to me. Mr. Fesco, you're a gold member now, and you're only a few steps away from being a platinum member. And guess what? Now that I work for the church, I hardly ever travel. And I must say I'm okay with that. I, I love, love being at home. I'm a homebody. I just want to be where my family is. But, but since I hardly ever travel now, my status with the airlines, the hotels, the rental car companies, I don't have those labels anymore. I don't have them. I'm just a regular traveler now. Why? Because their statuses are based on what I do. What I do for them, and since I don't have anything to offer them now, now my status has changed. And this is the mindset that Paul was, was combating with the church at Colossae. It's as if the, the teacher or teachers were trying to institute a point system as if there was more to earn. But even worse, it was difficult to even ascertain how you earn those points exactly. This is why he says in verse 23, These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Ultimately, they don't work, is what he's saying. They have an appearance of wisdom. They appear to be wise, but in fact they are not. They, they're of no value. When he says they appear to be wise, it's as if they're saying they're, they're presenting as, as having something that the rest of us don't have. And, and what it is that they have that the rest of us don't, well, it's hard to say. One commentator used the word esoteric. Christianity is not esoteric. When I look up the word esoteric in the dictionary, I get this definition. Intended for or likely to be understood by only a small number of people with a specialized knowledge or interest. That's exactly the opposite of what the gospel teaches. It's not for those with specialized knowledge or interest. It, it's for the weak. It's for the have-nots. Follow Jesus in his footsteps. Retrace his steps throughout the gospels. He gives the blind man sight. 
He gave the one who could not see, he gave them sight. He made the lame man walk. Those who could not walk, he gave them the ability to get up and go when they had no ability to begin with. The demon oppressed, the one who was out of control of their own body and facilities, he freed them from the oppression and returned an ability to control their own body once again. The hungry, he gave the hungry food. Those without a shepherd, he became their shepherd. The sick, he made well. You see a pattern here? And it could be easy for us to miss the point of all of this. We, we could look at each one of these instances here and think, well, see, this is what made Jesus a good person. He made the weak to be strong. That's what good people do. And indeed, that is what good people do. But do you realize that each time Jesus performed one of these, these signs, one of these acts, he was, he was preaching a sermon in his actions. Yes, he was meeting their immediate needs, but more than that, he was pointing to, the, to what he was there to do ultimately. He was there to make those who were defeated by sin's curse strong once again, but not in the physical sense. He used those physical acts to point to a spiritual reality. You who are weak, you who are dead in sin, you who had no ability to approach the holy, holy, holy Father, now have, been, now have been made strong again. The fellowship between the creator and the created has been restored, not because you have specialized interest or knowledge, but because you don't. Because in your weakness, because in your ability to offer nothing, he who had everything gave you what he had based on his merits, based on his specialized knowledge of the Father. He gave that to you. You know, uh, speaking of points in the travel industry, you can tell I was just on vacation. I was uh, prepared half of this sermon while on vacation. I don't know if you've ever had this experience. My wife and I, when we were much younger, uh, our kids were also still very little, and being young parents, we were desperate for a break, uh, for a vacation. And so we were lured by an offer somewhere where we could have four days and three nights on the beach, absolutely free. We would just have to listen to a sales presentation, a short sales presentation while we were there. A free vacation? We'll take it. Let me tell you, it was awful. <laughs> the sales pitch was not short. It was torture. They did show us a beautiful resort, and we could be owners at this resort if we just coughed up several thousand dollars, which we did not have. But here's the kicker. Did we get to stay in the resort while we were there? Oh, no. They put us up in another property down the road. Was it nice? Oh, no. It was not nice. <laughs> we decided to leave after just one night and uh, make the eight-hour drive back home. But before we left, we had a friend who heard about this and, and this friend. This friend was someone who, who did a lot of traveling. At the time, uh, her job required her to travel every single week, four days out of the week, she was in a, four days out of the week, she was in a hotel and her, her company flew her home every, every Thursday night only to fly her back out on Monday. And uh, it was quite the travel schedule, but it also allowed her to earn points on top of points on top of points on top of points. And she had all the statuses you could ever imagine. She was a, a titanium elite super plus platinum with all the hotels, airlines, and, and uh, rental car companies. So before we left town, she said, hang on, don't leave. She made a phone call and then called us back and said, check out of where you are now. And, and head to this address I'm about to send you. Check in there. Everything's been taken care of. And let me tell you something. 
It might have been the nicest place we've ever stayed to this day. When we checked in, they started giving us free stuff. Here, here, welcome. They thought we were the titanium elite super plus platinum people. Here, here you go. Free waters. Enjoy. What can we do for you? Well, I've got a list, right? And we got that treatment as a result of nothing that I had done. Nothing. Friends, this is Christianity. It's given as a gift to you, not because you have special knowledge, not because you've earned something that others can't just seem to earn. It's a gift, but the gift is not free. The gift does come at a cost. The gift does require payment, but the payment has already been taken care of as a result of someone else's work. Someone else's status applied to you. And and that's what I don't want you to miss here. Yes, Christianity does require special knowledge. It does require work and performance, but that special knowledge, work and performance doesn't come from you. It was done by Jesus Christ and applied to you. And yes, as a result, you are changed. You are a new creation. You're a new creation that begins to reflect the special knowledge, the good work, and the performance of Jesus Christ. You're a reflection of the real thing. This is Christ in you. That's what gives you special status. Let me close with this. This is from Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 to 30. And you may be very well aware of this verse, but I want you to hear it in light of the context of, of what Paul is trying to tell this Colossian church and to you too. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That sounds like a great vacation. Pray with me. Gracious Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for the work you've done on our behalf. Thank you for the perfect work of Jesus Christ. How could we ever improve upon what your son has done for us? Instead, thank you. Thank you that that we don't have to have special knowledge or engage in secret incantations or rituals. We only have to have the need. And thank you for meeting that need far beyond what we could ever imagine or expect. And it's in the name of Christ that we pray. Amen.